It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Amber Elliott has been sewing since her grandmother gave her a needle, thread, and some of her old clothes. She spent her childhood Frankensteining cast-offs and making new ensembles. As a teenager, she made her first quilt and was hooked. Not only is Amber designing patterns now, but also helping other quilt pattern designers learn how to write the patterns we all love. Thank you, Carolina Moore, for sending Amber my way. Amber, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Let's start with where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Oregon, and I have basically spent my whole life here. I lived in California for a very brief amount of time. I worked at a computer vision lab for a summer one year, and that was enough for me. (laughs) I came right back to Oregon, and I haven't left since. California is such a big state. Was that Northern or Southern? I was working at the Berkeley Computer Vision Lab. So I was in that area. I really enjoyed it there, but I just, I needed the green. I missed the green. So I'm very much an Oregonian at heart and I love the Pacific Northwest. So it's just where I belong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I grew up in Northern California, so I know the Brown Hills. Yeah, they're lovely in their own way. And I love a lot of the different areas of California, for sure. I feel weirdly exposed if I'm not surrounded by a bunch of trees. (laughs) (laughs) Share a special childhood memory. This kind of follows up on what I was just saying, I guess, because I was thinking about this and most of my childhood memories kind of resolve around being outside and being very much tied to place and location. So most of my top childhood memories are, I spent a lot of time when I was younger in the Wallawa mountain wilderness areas when I was young in the summers and my family would always take trips locally to different outdoor locations, you know, forest, mountains, things like that. So I feel like so much of my childhood revolves around things like that, which is part of why I'm so tied to where I live. And I think a lot of that comes through in my work as well. A lot of times when people ask me what I'm inspired by, it usually kind of comes back to my local landscape. Uh Uh-huh. And I think of green up there. Yep. You use a lot of green probably. Yeah. If you look at my website, I had my website redone a couple of years ago And I hired someone to do it this time because I was about to have a second baby and I just didn't have the time to do it. And she was looking at all of my work and my current kind of collections and all that. And she was like, so I see a lot of green. (laughs) Would you say your brand colors align with green? And I was like, yes, they do. (laughs) So before your quilting career, did you have other employment? Yeah, so I was a software engineer for more than 10 years, 10 years, something like that. I went to school for software engineering. I did a lot of work in the research field for a while. 
before taking a job at Intel as a software engineer. So I was there for quite a long time and I had always kind of wanted to pursue something more creative, even as a child. Honestly, I was that kid that started a million creative businesses when I was a kid and always selling random things I had made, things like that. So I didn't really know how I would eventually do that one day, but clearly it worked out. It took some time, took a lot of work, but yeah, I was a software engineer for a long time. And I've been amazed to find how many other quilters have engineering backgrounds too. I think there's definitely something that kind of pulls us to both of those things, having a creative outlet and also some of the technical math skills that can be behind quilting. I feel like I keep jumping ahead, but yes, that seems like especially it would be helpful with designing that yes, portion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think I got a pretty big leg up on pattern writing, especially writing the kinds of patterns that I make because of that background. It helped quite a bit when starting my business for sure. Mm-hmm. Now you're back up in Oregon, but are you in the same place in Oregon or how did you get to where you are now? Well, I live about five minutes away from my parents who still live in the home that I spent most of my childhood in. So I did not go far, <laughs> that's for sure. And it's funny because I had not thought that would be the case when I was younger. I was like, I'm going to go to college across the country. I'm going to live on the East Coast. I'm going to go do something different. But nope, didn't make it very far, <laughs> which is actually wonderful. My husband and I actually live now. We went to college together. And when we first moved back here, after we went to school, we lived in this apartment complex and we would walk through the neighborhood behind it that we really liked. And it had like a nice little pond and a trail and all of this. And so we would walk around there and talk about how much we'd like to live there. We bounced around a little bit, but in the end, we wound up in that neighborhood now. So we just kind of keep getting pulled back to the, the exact same places we came from. It's home. It is. And, you know, when you have two little kids, it's awfully nice to be five minutes away from their grandparents. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else about your family you wanted to share? Like I said, I have two little kids and they've both made running a business challenging and also extra motivating, I guess. When I started my business, I was still working full-time as an engineer. And it was a bit before the pandemic, a couple years before the pandemic, maybe, that I started really taking it seriously. And I really was hoping I would have a job eventually that had more flexibility so I could take time off whenever I wanted and be able to go to their activities, things like that. So that's definitely been a big inspiration behind what I do now which is really nice. It's nice to now have some of that flexibility. Although I will say I take far less time off now than I ever did with my corporate job. So that's a bit ironic, but if my boss ever lets me, I can. <laughs> She's not very reasonable. <laughs> We've had our own business for a long, long time. When we first decided to have our own business, we had a computer business. And my mother-in-law told us, now you only have to work half days. You just have to decide which 12 hours you want to work. Exactly. It's an extra weird adjustment because when I was working full-time, I was basically running my business full-time too. 
I did that for about two years and I don't know if I could have done it any longer. I worked every weekend. I worked every night. We'd put the baby to bed and then I'd go back to work and eventually I'd fall asleep and start the whole thing the next morning. And yeah, definitely. I think it was more of pick the six hours you don't work every day. (laughs) Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do? (laughs) I have definitely been kind of a craft hopper my whole life. I've done almost everything under the sun that you can think of. Not necessarily well, but I'm definitely just one of those people that's always trying something different. And we actually started, well, we'll talk about this a little bit later, I think, but I last year I started this little add-on subscription box to my normal subscription box service. It's just a really small one that we're kind of doing for fun where we try a different craft every quarter. And initially I was like, I'm not going to have time to actually do the crafts. Like I just probably won't have time, but I'm going to have a lot of fun picking them out and like, you know, getting them all ready. But every time I'm trying to plan out the year, I spend hours going down these rabbit holes. And I usually wind up spending a lot of money buying myself all of these different crafts to try out. (laughs) And you can probably guess how many of them I've actually gotten to. But I have an obsession with trying all of these different things. The things I actually do regularly are probably knitting and drawing and painting. I've always done a lot of that. So those are kind of the things I try to manage to find time for. But if I see something new, I just can't help it. I've got to try it. (laughs) I think a lot of us are like that, actually. (laughs) I'm thinking someone has to blaze the trail to see if it's worth pursuing. Yeah, that's a good point. And some of them have not been for me. That's very true. (laughs) How about other hobbies in your life? You know, these days it's kind of hard to really have hobbies with jobs and children and all of that. But my husband and I both are really into gardening. So we make a lot of time for that on the weekends. We do a lot of gardening and cooking and things like that. We actually got a greenhouse last year. So I'm expecting to spend a lot more time out there this spring, watching the weather and very excited to get started using that. Finally, I go out there and sit in there in the winter and think about it. (laughs) But I'm very much looking forward to actually being able to grow a lot more this year. Nice. I'm picturing you sitting in your greenhouse planning. Yes, it's very nice. I love it. Until my children join me. And then it's fun for five seconds. And then they start banging on the glass walls with a shovel or something. No. (laughs) Well, do you think any of your other hobbies or your crafts show up in your quilting? I definitely think so. I mean, I think it's pretty clear in a lot of my designs that they're inspired in some way by nature. And I like being outside when the weather is nice. I don't like being uncomfortable. I'll be clear about that. So I I like being outside in good weather. (laughs) And I think that probably comes through quite a bit in my designs. We used to do a lot more hiking and things like that too. And when that was easier. (laughs) And I think you can kind of see that in some of my work. The kids do grow up. You'll get there again. Yeah, I know. There are so many things that I think are just on pause for now. And I love thinking about myself, you know, six years ago or whatever, where we'd see people going on hikes with their toddlers and we'd be like, oh, that'll be us. 
And now that we have a toddler with very strong opinions, <laughs> that's not going to be us. <laughs> Sounds miserable. <laughs> Who introduced you to quilting or how did you start quilting? Well, I did a lot of sewing when I was a kid. I was really into it. Both of my grandmothers sewed and they both taught me to sew. But I did a lot of garment sewing and things like that when I was younger. I actually got into quilting because one day when I was a teenager, I just decided I'm going to make a quilt. (laughs) There was virtually no thought or research or anything put into it. I went to Joann's very confidently and I bought a whole bunch of low volume pastel pretty florals, which is funny, something you don't see in my work at all now. But I bought all of these fabrics and I went home and I cut them all up into squares and I started sewing them together. I had no idea what I was doing. No clue. Didn't make an effort to try to figure it out at all. I just kind of did it and made a lot of mistakes. I still have that quilt. I finished it by doing like the pillowcase method, this giant throw quilt. (laughs) I put some batting in the middle and I sewed around it with the right sides together and I turned it inside out and I called it done. Uh, You can imagine how well that held up. But I actually, just a few months ago, I basted it. I was like, I'm going to quilt this thing for real. And now it's sitting in my pile of things I haven't done yet. But one day, one day I'll do it just in time for it to fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) I did that. It was so long ago. I don't really remember if I made any other quilts after that for a while. I kind Mm. of got back into it as maybe a young adult. I think I started making quilts for older friends who were having babies or getting married and things like that. And then it kind of spiraled from there and slowly got more and more into it. I'm kind of curious on your first quilt, did you have to replace the batting before you repinned it? Oh oh yeah, (laughs) it's gross. (laughs) The batting, I actually had to cut all the way. So like, you know, it was sewn together and I was initially going to try to pick out the seams. And then I was like, I don't have time for this. What am I doing? So I just cut around the edges to take it apart. And when I opened it up, it was Quite a nice surprise. <laughs> it was, the batting was a mess. <laughs> oh. Whether it's a quilt you made or that someone else made, do you have a favorite quilt? Oh, that's such a hard question. I've been making a lot of quilts lately with wovens instead of quilting cotton, especially Fableism. I don't know if everyone's familiar with them, but it's a new company that's been making these really soft, nice wovens. And so basically anything I make out of those becomes like the new favorite quilt because they're so soft. Although actually, now that I think about it, I think probably the most used quilt and favorite quilt in my house is one that I made a long time ago, very poorly. Again, you know, there's a trend here. It has a bunch of little patchwork trees on it. And I used for the background fabric, I was cheap and I bought muslin from Joann's again. So You can imagine how well that's lasted. And when I was quilting it, the batting shifted. So half of the quilt doesn't have batting. And then the back was a really cheap flannel. So the whole thing is just a gigantic mess. But it's really soft and it's really cozy. And my son sleeps with it almost every night. It's on his bed right now, I think, as like the comforter. Not my best work, but somehow that's the one that everyone uses. Isn't that interesting? It's just so funny because we have 
oh my gosh, you know, an embarrassing number of quilts in my house because every pattern I write gets a sample. And I wrote a a book that then was a whole new, like 15 samples. (laughs) So I have so many quilts in my house and the ones that we use are usually the most embarrassing ones. But it's great to know that those are loved and that quilts that we make may not be as pleasing to our eye or whatever, but they are loved. Yes, definitely. Somehow the imperfect ones get the most love. What tool do you like to use when you're quilting? I think the most underrated quilting tool is a ruler handle that sits on top of the rulers, especially the six inch by 24 inch ruler. I cannot tell you how many times by now I would have cut my finger off if I didn't have one of those. I think everyone needs one of those. (laughs) Anytime I see another rotary cutter accident, I'm like, buy it. It's $10. They'll save your fingers. Yeah, those are great. There's so many steps in the quilting process, so we're not always doing the exact same thing. Do you have a favorite step or do you like each step along the way? My favorite step is definitely at this point in my life, the design phase, which I feel a little bit bad saying because there isn't any actual quilting involved in that step, but that's kind of always what's really spoken to me the most. I think I've made quilts from other patterns a handful of times. When I've most quilts I've made have always been my own designs. And so that was always kind of my favorite part was coming up with the design. And of course, now I do that for a living. And it's just the part that I really enjoy. It's really fun to see a new design come to life and play around with it to get it just right. So that's probably my my favorite part. It is fun to make a design and then it's fun to see it at the end to see how mm-hmm. close it really looks to your design. Was that really in my head? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Share your worst quilting experience. I would like to see my husband's face if you asked him this question, because I think I know exactly what he'd be thinking about. <laughs> when I was... I don't know, in my early 20s or something like that, I decided kind of last minute to make a baby quilt for a friend. But in typical Amber mode, I did not just make a simple baby quilt. I decided I was going to make something super complicated over the top. And (laughs) I didn't plan everything out as well as I should have beforehand. And so it was kind of like maybe watching someone fall down the stairs over and over again from his point of view. where I'd be working on it. And then he'd hear me, you know, swearing and like banging around and uh, come downstairs and lay stuff out on the floor and get my iron and, you know, burn myself. And it got made in the end. (laughs) It was not a good experience. And I'm kind of amazed that I continued quilting after that. But it taught me some really important things like don't take shortcuts, follow the steps, don't skip trimming, (laughs) make sure you have a good seam allowance. I learned a lot of, a lot of lessons from that quilt. And it sounds like you actually made it on time. I did. Yeah. I'm not one to miss a deadline usually, (laughs) no matter what I have to do (laughs) to my detriment usually. (laughs) There are so many options of things we could do. 
What do you think brings you back to quilting rather than spending your time doing something else? Well, this isn't a very sentimental answer, but at this point, it's my job. (laughs) As you know, it's funny to take something that is a hobby and turn it into a job and it changes your relationship with it quite a bit. But there is just something soothing. I would say that I probably maybe spend maybe 20% maximum of my work time is spent sewing. Actually, honestly, it's probably much less than that even. Most of my job is on the computer and doing things like that. But so when I do actually get to sit down at the machine, I usually block out some time and I think, okay, now I can just stop thinking. I don't have to be figuring stuff out. I can just relax my brain, listen to an audiobook, and sew for like four hours. And there's just really something that that's peaceful about that. Even if it's a project that's been stressing me out that I just want to get done with, it's just nice to be able to sit down and be forced to slow down and just go through the process. Yeah, like you said, you need to stop and do each step there so that Mm -hmm. it goes smooth. And yeah. And one thing I think you don't really realize until you're in the thick of it, and you know this, when you're running a business, especially a fairly large one with several different channels in it, you're doing everything. And that's obvious, right? Everyone knows that. Of course you are. When you actually sit down and do it and list out all of the different jobs you're doing, it's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. And there's so much work to be done all the time. And most of it is not fun and not glamorous. You know, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into every single thing every day. And so it definitely makes you appreciate those moments I think a little more. And it's funny. I've definitely had people say like, oh, when they find out what kind of business I run, they're like, oh, so you just get to like sew and make quilts all day. That sounds fun. And I'm like, no, I probably sew less than most of my customers. (laughs) So when I actually do get to sit down and do it, it is, it's definitely nice. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. There's just so much. Have you seen that social media post that gets shared often with an iceberg? And it's like a small business and the top is like what people see. And then there's like, (laughs) I also think about like ducks underwater. Like (laughs) you just see the duck peacefully floating around and underneath he's like, ah, feels like me most days. Those are great descriptions. Exactly. (laughs) When you do get to make a quilt that's not necessarily for your customers, who are you making your quilts for? This is also kind of an embarrassing answer, but I don't think I've made a quilt for somebody in four years at least, except I guess there's one exception. I made a quilt specifically for my daughter when I was pregnant with her. And it was also a sample for one of my patterns. So I was double dipping a little bit there, but I made one specifically for her. Generally, at this point, I have so many of them that if I know someone might want one, I have a large stock to choose from. (laughs) If someone specifically asked me to custom make something for them, like a close family member or something, I definitely would. But I think they all know that there's ample piles to choose from (laughs) should they need a quilt. (laughs) Well, I usually ask, what are you working on right now? But quilt designers can't work on one thing at a time. So I probably should ask, how many things are you working on right now? One thing that people are frequently surprised to hear is that generally I don't have multiple 
work in progress is happening at once when it comes to sewing. I just can't do it. It gets too messy and I have everything planned out in a schedule. So I only work on one quilt at a time, actually. So I don't even have any current quilts in progress. I just finished a whole batch of production samples and now I'm taking a little bit of a sewing break. So what I'm working on the most right now and for the next couple months is writing up my next two patterns. The Pattern Writing Academy is about to kick off, which I basically just block off. (laughs) I block off two months for that and I don't make anything usually during that time. I finish writing up some patterns, but those are my main projects right now. Oh, cool. So you're the exception to the rule. I am. And I did not used to be. Just to be very clear, when I was doing this for fun, I would have an embarrassing number. And I actually just cleared out a whole bunch of old ones that I had in my drawers that I'd forgotten about from 10 years ago, even. (laughs) I went through and I was like, I'm never going to finish this. I'm never going to finish this and found new homes for a bunch of things. Basically, if it was something I started more than two years ago, there's no way it's going to ever get finished at this point. So right now, I just one at a time. That's neat. Really cool. Share a quilting tip. The biggest one for me is just don't take shortcuts. They'll always backfire in the end. For some people, it works to not trim half square triangles. Every once in a while, there's someone who's so perfectly precise that they don't need to do it. And that's fine if it works. But I feel like almost all of my personal bad quilting moments have happened when I've skipped steps I knew I should do. And I can also tell you the vast majority of emails that I get of people who are having problems with a pattern. It's because they didn't press or they didn't trim or they didn't pay attention to their seam allowance and now their blocks are coming up short. So those boring, not so fun steps unfortunately exist for a reason. Going back to your thought process, can you describe how you had quilting as a hobby and it became a business? What were you thinking? This is actually kind of strange. If you had told me 10 years ago that this is where I would be, I'd be really surprised because I had always wanted some kind of creative job or business in the end. That had always been my goal, but I never quite knew what it was. And I really had initially planned on going into illustration and surface pattern design. Those were basically my goals from the beginning, from way back. I remember checking out a book about surface pattern design from the library, maybe 15, 20 years ago now, back before people used Adobe Illustrator for it. So I would never have guessed quilting would have been it. I made a specific quilt and shared it on social media, just my personal social media. And a friend of mine asked if I had ever thought about writing patterns. And it's funny because she at the time was much more into quilting than I was. It was more of an occasional thing for me. And she was like, I really want to make that, you know, you should write a pattern sometime. And I thought about it and I was like, I wonder if I could. And so I just kind of explored that and it wound up being much harder than I expected. And took a lot more work. But once I started doing it, I really enjoyed it. And I was kind of hooked. And so I wrote a couple patterns for fun. And I found that people seemed to really like them. And then I started to kind of, you know, plot in my head, "Hmm, maybe this is my out from the technical job I do not like. And I basically 
just sat down and tried thinking through what would I need to do to be able to quit my job? Is this feasible? Can I try to build this into a business? Because I really enjoyed pattern writing. And I really enjoyed the quilting community that I was starting to become a part of and the people I was meeting. It was hard because my family depended on my engineering salary. It wasn't like I could suddenly take a 50% pay cut or something like that. So I really just spent a few years building my business while also working at my full-time job and kept my eye on the long game of my goals and what I would need to do to be able to take it full-time. And it wound up working out. I didn't know if it would. There were plenty of times I was very tired and and was like, is this worth it? Can I actually do it? But it worked out in the end. There was a point when you were talking there that I think it actually dawned on you that it went from this idea to, hey, I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm. I'm personally remembering a point in time when I thought, I'm going to start this podcast rather than just mulling it. But there was that point. I know where I was. I was in the car. We were driving down to Florida. So do you remember where you were? Is there that point in your life? You know, I can't quite remember the moment when I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm a very decisive person and it happens very quickly. I think to my husband's dismay, sometimes I'll be like, Hey, do you think we should do, you know, this complicated project? And he's like, yeah, that seems like something we could do one day. And I'm like, okay, next morning, let's do it. So that's a very normal part of who I am, again, to his dismay. I don't really remember actually deciding that, but I do remember the moment when I thought, oh my gosh, this could actually work. And it was when I got the idea for a subscription box. And it was based on something that I had gone through myself of like having a new baby, basically having a long period where I did nothing creative. I didn't do any sewing. I didn't do anything because I was just too overwhelmed to even try to figure out like getting supplies, getting a project, what am I even going to make? So I just didn't do it. And I think that realization of maybe other people have been in a similar boat, maybe this is something that people might want. And if so, this is a way that I could actually maybe build a sustainable income for myself. That was the moment where like a light bulb went off. And I do remember that I was in the car driving my son to daycare before I went to my day job and I was super tired because I'd been up until, you know, midnight or whatever, working on pattern writing and that kind of stuff. And I had left that morning thinking, this feels so overwhelming. How am I ever going to match my engineering income? How am I ever going to be able to do this? And in the meantime, I'm just so tired. And then right after I dropped my son off at daycare, I sat in my car and I was just writing things down and writing down ideas for this possible subscription box. And that was kind of a moment where everything clicked into place. And it really was the beginning of everything that was successful for me, was just kind of having that idea. And I remember going to work right after that and sitting at my desk and thinking like, I'm not going to get anything done today. I'm too excited. I'm too worked up about this idea. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. And what is the name of your business and how did you come up with your name? My business is called Alderwood Studio. And how I came up with it is something people ask me a lot. And I really don't even remember the whole story anymore. My son's name is Alder. So part of it came from that. We have this nature preserve behind our house and a trail with a creek that runs through it. And there's a whole bunch of alder trees back there. So 
that just kind of stuck in my brain. And I knew that I wanted a business name that was flexible, that I could do multiple things under. So I didn't want it to be completely tied to sewing or quilting or anything like that, because my main goal when I even entered this space really was surface pattern design. That's the direction I was going. And then obviously things took a little bit of a different turn because the pattern writing business just went so well. So I kind of chose a name that was a little bit more broad, I guess, that could encompass multiple creative endeavors. And I don't really remember much else about how it came to be. (laughs) It was in those early days of no sleep and a baby and multiple jobs. I don't remember much from then. (laughs) But it does sound like that area has been so near and dear to your heart. So that is Mm -hmm. cool that you brought that into your name. But you got making these patterns. And how was it? When you actually got to see a pattern that you designed, but it was made by someone else. There's nothing like that feeling. It kind of took me by surprise. It really blew my mind. I think I had always kind of known in the back of my mind that a lot of what I wanted to do with my business was to inspire other people to be creative because it's so easy for our own creativity and our own creation of things to fall by the wayside in life. Life is busy. Life is hard. There's just a lot of things to do as an adult. Just telling my four-year-old this this morning, you think when you're a grown-up, you get to do whatever you want, but you actually don't really get to do anything you want. (laughs) So with knowing all of those challenges, for me, a lot of my goal is to help other people be creative and give them things that they can do that inspire them. And so the first time I saw one of my patterns being made, it was just the best feeling. And it persists anytime now. If I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see one of my patterns pop up in a quilting group or something like that, it's always the best feeling. That would be so fun. You've talked about it a little bit, but tell me more about your Modern Makes membership. So the Modern Makes membership is basically a skill building community for modern quilters. Each month, we get a exclusive mini quilt project that generally cover a wide range of different techniques in kind of a manageable way. So people can grow their skill sets without committing to a huge project, right? The membership gives exclusive access to a shop of past patterns, a whole bunch of tutorials, things like that. I try to add tutorials often that talk about ways you can use your mini quilts because I really value making things that are usable and that people actually want to use and display in their homes. I think we all have a lot of projects and (laughs) we need to have something important to do with those projects. So people in the membership often use them to create wall hangings are the obvious thing, but they make pillow covers, tote bags, laptop cases, quilted coat, like back panels. People have used them for all kinds of things. So we have a lot of tutorials and things like that with the membership, people all get access to this community and this digital space. But then we also have a subscription box option. So a lot of people will either sign up for a subscription box or for just the digital membership if they want to work on their own stash. And with the subscription box, you then get everything you need for that project every month. So it's kind of a fun way to just keep building your skill set and also have these bite-sized projects 
that you can work on when you feel like, you know, oh, it's a Saturday. I want to spend a couple hours doing something creative, but I don't have time to jump into this big project or I don't want to make a big mess or something like that. All experiences that I've had in the past. (laughs) So it's a nice way to be able to just try something new, learn something new, and then have something fun at the end of it. And a lot of people now have like a little stash of ready to go gifts, which people say they like a lot. Yeah, that would be handy. Mm -hmm. And how exciting it is that you have an academy for pattern writing. Share about that. I talked about my journey into pattern writing a little bit. I had no idea what I was doing, but I've designed quilts my whole life, basically. Well, as long as I've been quilting, I always designed my own patterns. And once I decided to actually try to write them down, I spent years refining the skill sets and the technical abilities to be able to create high quality and professional patterns. And I went through a lot of trial and error to get there, especially because a lot of the work that I do doesn't tend to be as block-based. It tends to be somewhat complex. And so it required a lot of math and technical skill to be able to actually put the patterns together. And luckily, my background in technology and math gave me a big leg up in that. But it was still a lot harder than I expected when I actually tried to write my first couple patterns. So over time, I developed these skills and I would frequently get questions from prospective designers or other quilters about pattern writing and about specific areas of pattern writing. And I was always happy to help and tell them what I knew. But I realized over time that there was quite a bit of disconnect over the expectation of what it was and the reality. And people got very overwhelmed when they realized everything they had to master for it. You need to be able to use vector graphics programs generally to make your diagrams. You need to be able to do all the math. There's desktop publishing software to actually write the pattern. There's just a lot that goes into it. And at the end of the day, a quote pattern is a technical document. So you need to make sure that it's correct, it's accurate, it's clear, all of that. And that's something that I had experience doing. So for me, it made sense. But if you don't have that experience, it becomes overwhelming quickly. I realized that a lot of awesome designers with really good ideas were falling through the cracks because they just got overwhelmed. So I spent a year or so designing and writing and recording this gigantic class that I had no idea if anyone would actually take. So it felt very risky and kind of scary, but it basically pulled back the curtain on everything that I had known and learned about pattern writing and covers everything from the design steps to what it takes to launch a pattern. And it covers low-cost software options because most people can't afford to fork over the Adobe (laughs) subscription payments when you're trying to start something like this, right? And then it's updated every year with new information, new software, things like that. But so I put this whole thing together and it was so scary, but it was received really well. And I wound up loving teaching it. I had no idea if I would or not. I had never really taught anything before, but it was just so much fun. And the community that forms around it every year really surprised me and really blew my mind. So many people have met lifelong friends now in this class. And it's just so fun to watch this community of newer designers that grows every year. And everyone is so good at uplifting each other and helping each other and supporting each other. And it's just been a very encouraging thing to see. 
That's great. The quilting community is really a great community. And so I just love seeing them being able to come together with that. Honestly, it's really just been so much fun every year. It's so much work, but it's so much fun. (laughs) Well, Amber, you've gotten to publish at least one book, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, I published a book at the end of last year. And can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's called Modern Heirloom Quilting. My style is very modern, but I think a lot of people in their minds think about modern quilting and then think about like heirloom traditional quilting as very different things. But I wanted to try to create something that could kind of bridge that gap. The styles in it are all very modern, but the hope is that they're also timeless in a way and can kind of encourage the latest generation of modern quilters to think about their work as still that kind of heirloom quality project for their homes to be used and treasured and valued and passed down and all of that. So the book has 12 projects. And one of the things I always try to do in my designs is I try to create work that looks more complicated than it is, which is a double-edged sword because I often hear people say things like, I'd love to make that, but I think it's too hard for me. And I always want to say, no, I promise you, it's probably not. So one of the things that I tried to focus on in this book specifically, all of the projects for the most part are pretty quick, but I don't think they all look like they're pretty quick. I think a lot of them look like they're a bit more challenging than they actually are because we're all so busy, especially younger modern quilters. A lot of us have families with small children. We have jobs, we have a lot going on. And so we don't always have time for more complex patterns, but we also want something that looks unique and interesting. And like it was complex. So that was kind of a lot of the driving force behind this book was creating a collection of patterns that I felt kind of fit that general idea. That's neat because we don't want a quilt that looks, well, sometimes we do, but a quilt that (laughs) looks super simple. And it's Mm -hmm. fun that you can make it into looking more complicated than what it actually is. Yeah, that's always kind of been what I've been drawn to. There are a million patterns out there that are quick and easy and are fun to make and look fun, but they look like they were quick and easy. And that's completely fine. There's a place for that. But I also know that there are a lot of people that want to make something a little bit more unique, but don't have time to spend 40 hours on complicated piecing either. So I've always kind of tried to bridge that gap of making designs that are interesting and different and unique, but still doable. I do have a couple patterns that I would not describe as quick or easy, (laughs) but for the most part, most of them, I try to aim for the advanced beginner or early intermediate kind of stage and not have anything that can't be done after hours, after bedtime in a couple weeks or less. (laughs) (laughs) And those more complicated ones are not in your book, correct? I had to think about it for a second, but no, my more complicated patterns are standalone ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the most complicated pattern in the book is rated for an advanced beginner. So everything is very approachable. And where can we find your business? My website can be found at alderwood-studio.com. And basically everything can be found there. The membership and the Pattern Writing Academy and all the other classes I teach, everything can be found from there as a jumping off point. You can also find me on Instagram, just at alderwoodstudio. And yeah, those are the best places to check out my work. 
Great. And we'll have your links on aquilterslife.com on your episode page. So we can always find you there too. Amber, thanks so much for sharing your story on A Quilter's Life. It was great to hear it. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed being here. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.